People are strange. People get better. People. People who need people. Welcome back to People with Barry Corder. This is a new podcast that I started basically to share some of the stories and the people that I've met in my nearly 31-year career as a feature reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press. These are stories about people that I've either met or written about or both, but mostly they are stories about people that um, I maybe didn't get to share the entire story or that they've continue to add to their story. Today's guest, for example, Holly Mulcahy, is someone that I met uh, a little less than a year ago. She is the concert master and violinist with the Chattanooga Symphony and Opera. But for this story, for these purposes, she's used those talents to create a program that I found pretty remarkable uh, that involves going into the Walker State Prison uh, just a few miles from here, about a half hour south of Chattanooga in Georgia. Uh, it's Walker County. What's interesting about this is that the program there is a, uh, the inmates, uh, most of them, and there's about 400 of them, uh, they're all uh, inmates in the Georgia Department of Corrections. But this particular prison is unique in the state in that it has a faith and character-based curriculum. All of the inmates there uh, are eligible for parole. That's part of being accepted into the curriculum, into the program. They represent every crime imaginable. Some are lifers, some are not. Uh, some have done horrible things. This is not about them. This is not about excusing what they've done. This is not about trying to paint light at what they've done. Uh, and it's certainly not about... Uh, reopening wounds with any of the victims. This is about the power of music. Holly has gone into there. She she was invited in to perform, and rather than go in and just perform and then leave and uh, feel good about herself, she wanted to do something that had an impact. So she created a program where she goes in and performs for the inmates, uh, usually with some friends of hers, uh, other performers, but also with some guest composers. Holly is a a real com proponent of living composers doing new works. So what she does is she goes in and she performs, and then she asks the inmates what they think, what they feel, what they heard. Um, and what's important here is she tells them right away there are no wrong answers. And so I was able to go with uh, a group of about 20, I think it was, um, there was about 123 or so inmates that particular night, and what I saw 
uh, really just sort of blew me away. The inmates were completely engaged, uh, completely respectful, unbelievably quiet. Uh, immediately took their seats and, uh, and, and waited on the program to begin. But I was also able to speak to four of them who had been vetted. Uh, I was able to speak to any of them, but I could actually quote four of them that had been vetted. And what I heard were things like, um, I've never heard these guys who were hardened criminals uh, even admit that they had feelings. I heard people say, I didn't know that I had feelings. I didn't know that anybody cared about my feelings. I didn't know that music could cause me to have a reaction just based on a on a sound uh, or a, a movement or a piece or whatever. Uh, it was It was truly remarkable to hear them give their insights onto what they heard. For example, uh, they they had a pro- they just did a program in mid October or mid to late October, and they always ask the inmates they fill out a form afterwards to to share those that didn't stand up and speak. Here here's an example of some of the things that they wrote. I agree with Mr. Fred Child, who was one of the guest performers. I agree with Mr. Fred Child in that music helps me to be better at feeling but also better at understanding and qualifying those feelings. Another inmate, and of course they're all anonymous, wrote, I wish it could have been longer. In total agreement with Mr. Fred Child, music makes me feel better, and those couple hours with your team has strongly improved my feelings this evening. I will say this, this is another inmate, the first three pieces were very emotional for me. The wind, which was one of the pieces, reminded me of the two years before I was incarcerated. I had pictures of memories flood my mind of my children and wife. Another song. I keep thinking the sun had won, brought back emotions of turmoil from my charges, trial, and eventual incarceration. This is all the same inmate. Current, another song, another piece. Current was beautiful, full of peace that I look forward to upon my release. And another inmate. Seeing prisoners standing and giving their take on these songs. I live with these people 24-7 and would never thought these prison-hardened people would express themselves like they did. So that's the program. That's what we're going to talk about, or that's what I talk about with Holly. I appreciate her very much giving of her time. I appreciate her very much of allowing me to go in back in April with, uh, with the group. And I hope you guys... Uh, We'll give this a listen. Um, I wish there was a way that everyone could experience it. We talk about that in the podcast. It's not, uh, you can't tape it, you can't videotape it, um, so it's not obviously open to the public. Um, It is something she's looking to take to other prisons around the country. Like I said, it's, it's as much about the prison because of the environment and the atmosphere, but for me, it was more about the idea of actually listening to a song, a piece, uh, or looking at a piece of art, because that was part of the the curriculum as well, Um, and actually uh, reacting to your feelings uh, and knowing knowing that there are no wrong answers. There are no wrong feelings. What you feel is what you feel, and that's the way it should be, and that's really what we talked about in this in this particular episode. So I hope you'll enjoy it. And thank you very much for listening. 
I am here today. Uh, I've been looking forward to doing this interview since basically I conceived the idea of this podcast, which is, um, I'm calling it, I don't know the full name yet, but I'm basically, the subtitle is just cool people that I've had the opportunity to meet, or amazing people. Cool sounds not quite um, descriptive enough sometimes, and I think uh, my my guest this, this week, uh, Holly Mulcahy fits exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, very cool, very talented, but I think also what you've done, created, is is just mind-blowing to me. Um, thank you for being here, first of all. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, let me set the stage. So it was, what, um, four, five, six months ago? About that. I think it was April. April. That's what I was thinking. So. I had the opportunity to go down to the Walker State uh, Prison at the invitation of Holly to see one of the most unusual, mind-blowing, uh, I, I don't even know how to describe it, it was, it was incredible to see what I saw there. Um, and I'm going to let you do a lot of the talking in a little bit, but let me see if I can set the scene for people that are out there. So Holly is the concert master for the Chattanooga Symphony and Opera. You also play with a couple other symphonies, correct? Yes, I, I do. So you were invited to go down to the this prison, um, the Walker State Prison. It's down in um, just below Ringgold. It's an unusual prison. It's a faith based and character based, faith and character based prison. The inmates that are there request to be there and then are vetted, but they are, they've done every crime imaginable. They have. Imaginable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some are lifers, um, some are not. They're working hopefully to, to get parole, but there's no guarantee. So it, it is a legitimate prison. It's not a white collar type of no. <laughs> so, so it was a Sunday evening. Um, we had to, all of the people that were going to go down had to be vetted and checked and on a list. And we had to be, we were searched and we went through all the gates and the razor wire and everything that you would imagine. But you were there to perform two pieces, two new pieces, right? Two or three, yeah. Yeah. Um, with living composers, they were there with you. Yeah, that's significant. We're going to talk about that. One of the pieces, when you had been there before, one of the inmates had painted a painted made, painted a painting. I hate to say it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Created a painting. Created a painting. You took that painting and then gave it to one of the composers. Yes. And she created a new piece of music based on that painting. Then you presented it, it was untitled. She was gonna take the input from the inmates back, right? Oh, that was two different composers. Am I, am I mixing the two? But it, they're all great. It's um, actually the composers are, are related in a sense that the one that I gave the painting to was the student of the other composer who let her piece be finished by the prisoners. Okay. So there, it's all. Yes. It's, I mean, it's, it's what's so beautiful about the music world is it's all tied together so neatly. Right. Um, it's, yeah. So 
I don't know, you know, the listeners, I don't know what your perception of prison life or prisoners or or anything like that. I think we all have some preconceived notions. It was nothing like I expected. Um, there was one guard in this room. There was about 120 inmates, all in what I would consider classic white Georgia prisoner, white shirts and tie or pants and tops with the black stripe down the sides um, but they came in they were as nice as they could be they came up and shook everyone's hand thanked us all for being there and then the real magic for me started because they all took their seat and quietly sat there staring at you waiting for this program to begin didn't make a sound. No. To, in fact, I pointed out in a story that I wrote for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, where I work, um, that you had, at one point had sort of told them, go ahead and talk. <laughs> We've got to get ready. Right. But they were so ready for this thing to begin. And then you played a piece and then asked for their input on what they heard. And that is the key to why we're here and what we want to talk about. Right. Um, what Holly does is play the pieces and then let the inmates describe what they heard. And what they described what they heard was incredible. It is. To me. It's incredible to me too. They go places that I, as a musician, hadn't even conceived of yeah. going. I think we'll circle back to this, but just to give people an idea of, of what I'm talking about. So you have the composers there, which is important for you, why you do this, because you want them to get that input and to be able to give input back, but not to the point of the composer telling the listener what they should have heard. Or Exactly. It's the other way. Exactly. And so it becomes a dialogue, and that was incredible. But So it's Im important that th this whole thing, and we're going to get more into it, is it's a dialogue in a sense, but it's really coming from the inmates. You don't try to tell them what they should hear or influence in any way what they should hear. As you said many times, there are no wrong answers. Exactly. And the, there are so many layers to this story. <laughs> but these guys open up in ways that they told me afterwards that they didn't even know they could. They didn't know they had it in them. They never considered. They'd never been asked their feelings, some of them said, much less had the idea that a grown man could express his feelings and be influenced by art or music. I, I know I'm jumping all over the place, but there's so much to try <laughs> to get in. And like I said, I'm going to let you you explain all this. But what I was going to say was one of the pieces, one of the inmates stood up and said, I hear a conflict possibly between a man and a woman mm -hmm. at the beginning of the piece and then it sounds like they've resolved it or at least come to a peaceful place about it and then there's a little more tension and then and the composer just seemed flabbergasted and said that's exactly what I had in mind. Yeah. <laughs> when you started you had a few inmates and then they would go back and talk about it 
for days and days and days and it impressed some of the other inmates who said I want to know what this is about so it's continued to grow but I've done enough talking so how did this all come up and and what is your goal with it this came up with a kind of a desire to give back because I feel very lucky as a musician and as a just a, a human that I've been given chances and I've never been forced to make a decision out of two bad options like a lot of people who go to prison they don't have a good option some of them um, so I figured I've got art I've got music I want to um, give it to people that need it the most and we don't usually look at our prison systems as something like we'd want to give music is often considered a reward a um, something that you pay good money to go see um, and to me that that's not quite it it's a it's a communication device it's an expression and when you're denied art you don't get to experience your full human potential and these prisoners will all be our neighbors, the ones that get out. And with the recidivate rate in this country so high, or so low, we want to give uh, something besides how to manufacture carpet or how to do some plumbing skills, some human, human uh, building, human appreciating kind of art is something a step up, something that gives people a coping mechanism, a place they can put their emotions, put their feelings. Uh, it just is a way to express. And I've known this, being a musician, and you certainly know this, um, but people that are denied art don't have a place to plug in emotions and sometimes they will act out differently. It's not a, going to say that it's going to cure anybody from robbing ever again or, or murdering or, or whatever um, but you want to give people chances if they've served the time and they come out you want to have tools and art in the various forms is a great thing to have so I brought um, music in as just because I had an access to through a friend who was a prison mentor and uh, just said I want to bring music into the prisons and he's like sure whatever and um, we did it and I didn't have a plan I didn't have an idea of where this would go and I still don't uh, marry an idea that this is the this is the end goal I think once you put an end goal to something that's the end and each performance has morphed into something greater than I could have imagined with everybody's ideas on my board with the musicians that come in with the composers that come in and the feedback from the prisoners it all dictates what the next recital is going to be and it helps steer the organization and the mission of the organization to something even greater than I could have imagined so that's kind of a loose answer that I don't have an end goal in sight. It, it's important, I mean this was about three and a half years ago, right? You yes. A three and a half year program, year old program and I think that's interesting that you not, you didn't have an idea. I mean it, something like this almost seems like it, you know, was a, a lifelong goal that you always <laughs> wanted to try and you had no. to fight for and all this. It's kind of weird. It just sort of like you said, morphed. It did um, morph. I think that's one of the things that makes this program different from other, and bringing music into the prison is not an unusual thing. Right, right. Um, but one thing that is different about this is 
we're not doing edgy outreach. We're not doing like a one-off kind of program. This is a, a very determined, we're coming back twice a year, and we're making a point of not trying to dictate how anybody interprets this. Um, we don't have an end goal with um, our mission with like, the prisoners will learn what a violin is, and you know they will learn what Mozart's dates were. I mean, nobody cares. Nobody right. cares about that. Um, a lot of programs that bring music in, it's more about the pe people bringing the music in than the actual lives they're impacting, and that to me is insincere and doesn't really fully capture the value and the power of music. And this is not about me. This is not about um, any anybody in my organization. It's about basically human. In your interpretation of an art. Yeah, I think that's interesting. You're not a psychologist or a psychiatrist no. or you don't have, to my knowledge, any, uh, you've not worked with prisons before, you're not a social worker or any of those sorts of things. You just saw an opportunity and had an idea based on your own realization of what art and music has done for you, right? I right, mean, exactly. And it's also after the first performance in there, it informed me uh, how to take the next one, but it also told me that everybody needs to approach music this way. We, um, outside in the free world, we, we take art very, um, we don't take it seriously. Right. Not that it needs, it needs to be really serious, but we go into a concert and we expect to be told how to enjoy it. We expect to be told um, what the composer what his life was, what his intention for the piece was. We expect to be told to not clap, to sit still, to um, feel whatever, and then we leave and about 50% of our attention span is like, I wonder how the kids are at home, um, I, I wonder if I turn the, the oven off, and we're not really, really focused. And what this does, taking the music in to the prisons, is it creates curiosity for everybody. Like, how are they interpreting this? Why are they able to reach this point? It's because they don't have the distractions that we do. So it's kind of a symbiotic relationship that they're informing us how to enjoy art that belongs to everybody. Right. Well, you were talking about art as a way to express themselves. Study after study shows that that's the case, that school kids that are, have access to art are less stressed. Um, they just they learn to communicate. They learn to deal with fear, anxiety, yeah. whatever. They do better academically. It's the, um, there's an interesting study. I can't remember it offhand. I'd have to Google it um, about the school shootings going up with arts declining in right. the schools. It was a 15-year study, and it it's like it makes you wonder how can we not afford this. Yeah. Deliberately, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't want to go too deep into right. the politics, but I'm the same way. I, um, I, it's so clear. Yeah. Every so. study, and yet you know we keep cutting arts out of schools. So there is that, and that's really what I saw with these guys. I was allowed to speak to four of the inmates who had been cleared to speak to media to quote them. I could talk to just about anybody. Right. They told me, they, like I said, they'd never been asked their feelings before. One of them, one, another said he had never heard music like that before, never been exposed to it. 
uh, another another man said he had listened to it his whole life. He couldn't go to sleep without basically classical music. He had become so yeah. accustomed to it. The idea of not being told what to think when you see a painting or hear a piece of music is a relative new phenomenon. Our uh, Fine Arts Museum here in town, the Hunter Museum of American Art, they have gone to the point of putting paper, large pieces of paper, in front of their pieces for, for visitors to leave their notes, their thoughts. So rather than have a docent there to explain, like you said, when it was painted, what to look for, and all of those things, they're asking people what they think. It's such a huge it's powerful, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just a, it makes it what art should be, which is a conversation starter, right? And engager, and that's what good art does: is it causes conversations and really important things to be surfaced and spotlighted graciously. Talk a little bit about that, the because it was so powerful for you to tell that audience of inmates that there are no wrong answers. Where did you come up with that? Um, that basically is coming from uh, me with two non-musician parents. My parents raised my brother and I. We're both professional musicians. And I always look at music through their eyes. And um, I notice that when they are informed of you should be feeling this or here's a basic study on this piece of music, that they kind of they didn't really shut down, but it's kind of like, oh, this sounds like work. Um, I, you know, it takes out the human value of really soaking it in and having a point of view that's relevant. Um, so, having a no right answer, I think, also gives a listener permission to listen to it fully and own it. And that's what I, the first time I was in prison shared with them. I said, this is your music. This is your experience. You can feel whatever you want. But it also allowed the guests that I brought in to feel that as well. And I think that, I think there were 20 of them the first time. It forever changed how they took in art afterwards. When they come to our CSO concerts, they told me that yes, they go to the pre-concert lecture and it's fascinating somewhat, but they, when they sit and they have the concert experience, they get lost in the music and they are within themselves differently, as if the prisoners had kind of informed them this is how to just sit back and let your mind wander and wherever it goes is okay. And I think that's what art, art should do. Sometimes it's interesting to know that the composer might have been going through a depression or um, that they were inspired by, I don't know, a sunrise. But it's not necessary. We can do whatever we want. And I think giving the prisoners the permission to do that, where they don't have many permissions, is a very freeing experience for them. Thinking back on that night, and, and you've done it, I only went the one night, so you've experienced this several times, but to give people an idea, and, and this was really struck, stuck with me, was I heard the piece, and of course I'm filtering it through my own ears, experiences, life, whatever. So to hear 
two, three, four, five different people say what they felt listening to the piece. I understood how everyone's filters impact mm -hmm. what they hear. Because, for example, I think if I remember correctly, one one man stood and said basically that he had no hope, didn't see the world changing, but in the particular piece, he heard that that was the intent of the piece, that there was this tension and then it was resolved. That was pretty amazing. And then to hear the other guy say that he heard a man and a woman. You know, it, what I'm trying to say is whatever was going on in their life informed what they heard. Exactly. And that was that, that conversation where every, everybody experienced the same piece and they all had a different point of view and a different experience. But sharing it gave that piece um, almost a three-dimensional life, if you will. There's not one way there are now 130 different ways to interpret that piece. And all of them are right. And hearing people's interpretations or feelings after they've experienced the piece informs me as a musician uh, how to enjoy the piece even more because it means something completely different to me as a performer, but knowing that there are different experiences, I take each one of those very seriously. The other thing that was done was there was a painting from the Hunter Museum right. that was there on a slide, yes. right? We could all see it. Yeah. And then the music, we had a piece. And one of the inmates, in the painting there was what looked like I'm saying that right. I don't want to. It wasn't an upside down rainbow, but in his view, that's what he saw. Right. And if you remember, he, his interpretation was that rainbow was God's promise that there would not be another flood. And since this one was upside down, God had basically given up or changed his mind, I think <laughs> is what he said. Yeah, I think you're right. It was pretty powerful. It was pretty powerful. Um, that he would see it and. Again, that's kind of when I had that moment of, wow, this is where his life is, and that's the way he's filtering this, this through. That's probably not where I would have gone or could have gone. Or but now when you see that painting, yeah. I mean, I, I see everything from a whale's tail to that. Yeah. Um, and how that painting got picked was I had a piece commissioned in honor of a friend um, as a memorial for her husband who had passed. And I, I, he kind of gave me the idea of being almost like a, a social, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, a philanthropic social kind of uh, idea of bringing music. Because, you know, I'm a musician. I don't have millions to give, but I have a lot of music to give. So that, that kind of was one of the sparks of getting this program going. But after he passed, I wanted something that would last longer than flowers, so I asked a composer to write the piece. And I wanted to use the piece uh, for good in prison. And I asked the person who I had this composed for to pick a piece of art to go with it. And we brought that in. So the conversation was started from the outside in, um, in prison. So it, it, was, it was started with the work it was started by picking the piece of art and then it came in and it was continued by the, by the prisoners. The other painting that we had was painted by a prisoner. That was started, that conversation was started inside prison and then we took that painting out and continued it 
with a, a composer who composed a piece in reflection of that painting and then we brought that piece back in and so that's this kind of what art does is it breaks through the boundaries it breaks through the razor wire and it lets the conversation go way past the prison and then from the great lengths of our nation back into the prison without without leaving basically so the way this prison is set up um, the inmates don't share cells or bunks they're all in one giant room um, and so what they told me after those 20 when those first 20 um, from what I understand were sort of picked it was a controlled group yeah they're all musicians or they'd be sung in the prison chorus and there was a, a, a little bit of um, let's see how sincere this violinist yeah. is with this from what I understand they kind of came with um, uh, understandably so you know I think they wanted to test see your sincerity and what this oh, was yeah. worth and all of that my understanding is they were so um, overwhelmed that they went back into that great room and like I said earlier kept talking about their emotions and their feelings and and so several of the other inmates heard that and were curious and then so it's it's mushroomed um, from there and from there there have been more conversations some of the guys told me that it has opened up dialogues with their family members oh yeah um, as using music as a starter yeah you know they could both listen to the song and then start talking and then just this idea I keep coming back to it that they had they had never considered feelings before and now they're talking about them I think that's pretty powerful it's amazing yeah, and I, I didn't ask for them to do this um, I think that when I first went in I just said let's hear if you have some stories or what you think is happening um, and that kind of morphed itself um, music does that though it it's full of feelings and people just identify what it what it sounds like so it was never asked what are some of the stories or interpretations if you will that you that have stuck with you I mean that's obviously I had just the one night down there and, and remember those you've heard many others yeah there's um well, I was thinking of one that I told you over the phone um, when you originally talked. Uh, I, it was from the first time I went into prison, and I came. I come with a theme each time I go in, not as an educational device, but just as something to keep me as a performer focused on ideas, two ideas per time. Um, and this this time that I went in, it was the idea was um, tension and resolution in music, um, like tension chords that resolve. And the other was a dialogue in music, and Bach is really good at, at both of those. And so I played a solo Bach piece and had a lot of tensions and resolutions, a lot of tensions and resolutions. And finally, it, after all the tension and resolutions, it finally had its final resolution. And uh, one of the prisoners spoke up and he said, it reminds me of the day I got arrested. Um, and ended up here and he was sitting in Red Lobster with his girlfriend and he said that the DEA called and said we know where you are we're coming to arrest you and he said his heart just sank and he said that felt like the tension that I heard in that piece 
And he said, I didn't think life could get any worse until I ended up behind the bars. And that's when the resolution started happening where I, I have an end date to this. I'm going to get out. I'm helping my life get on track. And so now when I perform that Bach piece, I always think of that. And it's so silly thinking of the Bach Sarabande and Red Lobster, but I can't help it. But it informed me how to take attention differently. Because as a musician, tension chords are one thing, but actually putting an identification of fear and, and um, not, not knowing where your life is going and, and just scary, um, scary things was pretty powerful. There was one other piece that I played that was um, by living composer Jennifer Higdon. And after I performed it, it was a really slow, beautiful work for violin and piano. One prisoner stood up and he said, this piece, I felt like my mother came to me. And she had just died a couple months ago. And I felt like she was saying, it's OK. I forgive you. Everything is going to be OK. And I thought, wow, that's pretty powerful. And I got home after that performance. And one of the guests that I brought in said that was so weird because I had the exact same occurrence come to me. And she told me, she sent me a big essay. She says, here's what happened. I was, I'm taking an art appreciation course and I'm supposed to write about um, mothers or, or draw mothers or whatever. And she says, I'm basically having writer's block or artist block or whatever you call it. And she said, sitting down and listening to this piece opened my mind, gave me an immediate vision. And that vision was, I was at my kitchen sink washing my dishes and my mother came behind me. She'd been dead for like, five years and she started caressing my hands and she had that sensation during the same time that the prisoner had that same sensation so immediately I wrote Jennifer Higdon and I said your piece did this to these two people who were in the same room opposite sides and Jennifer said that's one of the most important things to know as a composer that it's interpreted like that that's, that's powerful this the second um Let's take a, a quick minute, and maybe we should have done this at the beginning, but as I mentioned, you're the concert master here. Um, where else do you perform? Um, I do some guest concert master jobs around the, the country. Right now I'm working with the Wichita Symphony, a few concerts this season, and I do soloing. I do concertos, mostly living composers, because I have a reputation of working with living composers. That's right, that, and that's the second thing that I wanted to, to talk about, because um, one of our phone conversations, you stressed to me how important that was to you, not just with this program, but in general, right? You, right. Um, why? Um, because the living composers have the same sounds and experiences that we're experiencing. Um, if, you, if you look at Brahms or, or Richard Strauss or Mahler, they walked around in the woods and they listened to the cuckoo and their noises of their century don't resonate the same with us. I mean, it's very nostalgic to listen to a Brahms symphony and, and hear the sounds of old Vienna. And, but when we listen to music that's being written with the same noises and, and um, same feelings that we're experiencing, it's, it's, that's our music. It's taking our sounds of our 21st century and putting it into some kind of an art form. Not all of it's successful, and frankly, there's a lot of garbage out there. Um, my 
my mission is to share the ones that I think are going to be the next Bach, the next Strauss, the next Brahms. Their music is going to last centuries. And um, I think taking that and sharing that and, and making a bridge to people that this is great music, you should enjoy it, you should um, support it, it helps validate our 21st century lives in an artistic form, if that makes sense. If I remember correctly, um, one of the composers there that, that night at the prison maybe afterwards remarked to you that they never got that, that type of feedback. Oh, no. No. Um, Not just prison, but any But kind. any kind of concert. And that's, that's one of the interesting things, because usually any living composer who's not like a, a big, big name, they're lucky to have 20 people at a recital. Lucky they might have five show up. Um, so having oh, almost 200 people in presence fully paying attention, fully vested into the experience was something that's not normal. And it should be, but it's not. And um, it, it, to get that immediate feedback is also not normal. It should be. Um, so having that experience shared and get the immediate um, reaction was just so um, exciting for these composers. They, they left invigorated. They left with so much information about what to write, the directions they want to go, that their music mattered. The same way that the prisoners' opinions mattered, these composers felt like their music mattered. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it, it seemed like for them it opened a world that they didn't know existed also because they write in their own space, yeah. basically send it off and it either is accepted or not based on sales or how often it's played or not, but they don't hear that sort of how it influenced or impacted somebody. Right. And it seemed like it triggered kind of a, wow, it really does mean something. Yeah. <laughs> to get that immediate response, usually at premieres, the composers will get, oh, that was really nice, and then people will go have their coffee or dessert drinks or whatever, and that's it. Right. Um, this was a, an elongated conversation, and um, what a treat. To, yeah, to and not just, I liked it, I didn't like it, it moved me, it made me happy, but I was thinking of my mother yes. when I heard it, or I saw an inverted rainbow, or mm -hmm. that kind of detail, I guess that's what I'm... I'm thinking about is that they it really was more of a dialogue than just it made me feel good or right I liked it and I think that's that speaks volumes for people everybody on the outside as well of how to interpret right. living composers works that that's a big permission for all of us to say let's be curious and let's try this out and my opinions will matter and there are no wrong answers and it's very empowering for everybody. Yeah. You said you don't have an end plan. What sorts of things, though, are running through your head that you can do? What are the... Well, each time we go in, we give surveys to the prisoners. And we find out, um, after the first performance, we found out that they preferred living composers. I didn't put that on them. They picked it. So that dictated that I would like to focus mostly on living composers, living American composers. Um, then we found out that they enjoyed 
interacting um, their opinions mattering more to the composers and so then I brought in composers the actual people came into prison um, then we found out that they had some really good opinions on these new composing new compositions with the composers present so that informed the next concert which is the one you came to where let's have an unfinished piece and let them title it and finish it and that informed the next thing and the next thing is um, coming up uh, in a couple weeks actually going back um, we're bringing my brother, who's a trombonist, and three violinists, myself, Mary Corbett, and Barbara Schoolcroft. And we're doing some unusual things. Um, my brother will be playing the alto trombone, which is a smaller trombone, a very invigorating, um, crazy piece with a lot of interesting technical things. That's going to be a great conversation builder, but we're also going to pair him with the three violins and we're going to play some old music from um, like late 1700s. It's a piece for four violins. We're doing it for three violins and alto trombone. And the reason we're doing that is that all voices are playing the same music. All different kinds of voices are playing the same, you know, the music is written but we're kind of changing the rules because all the voices matter is basically what I'm trying to say. Also we're playing the final um, product of Annie Guzzo's piece, the one that was incomplete. We're going to be playing and premiering in the prison the completed work. But we're changing off the violinists. The, I'll be playing, but Mary is going to sit aside and another violinist, Barbara, is going to be in. Because we want to kind of punctuate that um, anybody can play. Anybody can, can be a part of the music and all voices matter. It doesn't matter who's playing, but um, we want to kind of mix it up in that in that way, and that's kind of where we're going for that. So we'll see what happens after that. You know, it's just a big. We're going to keep playing, but um, I don't know what the next concert will be until we come off of this one. How has this experience influenced your own music? It's led me to play with more purpose, and I've always enjoyed music, but um, having people's emotions so dependent. You know, they, they really put everything in to listening. A hundred percent, if not more, playing for the prisoners kind of gave me a different perspective. I'm used to playing for people who are trying to look on their phone during a concert or, or suppress a cough or they're not a hundred percent there. Having people a hundred percent there needing it as much has given me more determination to what the music is. Every phrase is important, every rest is important. And not to get too micromanagey, but it just kind of um, punctuates why I do what I do. And uh, I don't know, I think also it's changed me as a performer where, I, this sounds terrible, I don't care as much how clean I play, I don't care um, if I make a mistake. I guess I do care, but I mean, I don't care like my life depended on it. I'm not embarrassed if I, if I flub up a note here or there, because the whole purpose of music is to present an emotional impact, a piece of art. And the moment you try to control for perfection, you just don't get it. And so that's kind of freed me a little bit, playing for prisoners, not, um, you know, I'm not too worried about, you know, performance. CD-ready kind of performance in the prison, but I, I, it kind of freed me as an artist just a little bit 
So I've taken that outside and just enjoyed it more, and I think it makes me a better musician and a better performer, frankly. I think I'm right. There has been some talk of taking this program to other places? Yes, we're um, kind of branching out now with the idea where um, this, this idea of bringing in music and, and letting people talk, letting the prisoners talk, we're going to start doing that. It's nationwide at this point. I mean, we're not, we're accepting prisons at a kind of nationwide. We've gone to one in Minnesota, a women's facility, and we're looking into a women's facility here in Chattanooga as well. But um, we'll start branching out. I've been approached by some people in Louisiana and um, Colorado and just looking around those. What does the prison itself tell you? What sort of feedback do you get, not from the prisoners, but the officials? The oh, they, um, it's very interesting. They, they love it, actually. They notice that they're, at, at Walker, for instance, um, they write journals. Each of the inmates write a, writes a journal every day um, at the end of the night, which is open to the guards, which is a little weird. But yeah. um, they've noticed uh, calm more calm, more focus um, in their the population there. And they, it's also good for them too because it's a very stressful job to deal with this. It's depressing to look at men who are separated from their families, who've done heinous crimes, who are self-loathing. Self um, it's a lot of stress. So when we come in, it's not just for the prisoners. It might be for the guard or the warden or the deputy warden or the chaplain, because music informs all of us how to kind of pull it together just a little bit or how to um, cope. And there are no wrong answers, works for guards as well. Yeah. So. Which, sort of my next question, is there any thought on your part or discussion to branch it out beyond prisons? I mean, oh yeah. Um, the mission of Arts Capacity, which is the nonprofit I started, is to bring music to all groups that need it, um, underserved, so detention centers. Um, we had talked about uh, working with this, with uh, veterans groups with um, post-traumatic stress disorders. Um, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves because it's still a very small organization. So we want to do what we do very well before we move to the next and expand. But we are looking at um, veterans. Tell me about the, the nonprofit. Where can, is it uh, online? Can people find it is out more? Online, it's artscapacity.org. And there's also a Facebook page for that. And um, it's small. The board is only six people. And we don't have any volunteers, so my board members are also my volunteers. Um, and we bring in um, composers, like I say, from around the country. and that also gets out. It, when a composer comes in and experiences what they do, what you did at Walker, it doesn't just stop there. They keep composing, they keep um, talking about this. And I think that's one of the greatest things is uh, the social justice aspect of what, what's possible just beyond bringing music to a prison. It's, it's giving a composer a voice. It's um, allowing for this conversation to happen. It's allowing for empathy to occur. So that's all part of this right now. There's I had asked, um, just because it's such a wonderful thing, it would be amazing if other people could experience it like I did. Mm -hmm. um, 
so the idea of taping it either just auto audibly or video um, I'm sure people listening are thinking the same, but it's fairly complicated. It's super complicated, and that's it's com uh, common for all the prisons around the country. The rules are strict. Um, we've been denied now, I think we've asked twice to record it, just audio, not even video, right. and they, they won't. And that's okay. Um, we'll keep going. Yeah, I mean, to... I, I'm not an expert, so if I'm speaking out of turn, uh, but some of the reasons are obviously privacy of the not only the inmates, but sometimes in some cases the victims. Uh, yes. They want to be careful. They don't want to, A, they don't want to, this inmate is, it brings up bad memories for victims, as you can imagine. Yeah. The victim's families think, you know, he's in there to be punished, not to be in there to be entertained. So there's, yeah. there's all kinds of issues. The, um, what we're very careful with this nonprofit is that this is not entertainment. We're offering up art. Right. And um, I think entertainment's when you go in and you don't engage in what we are as Right, that's a, that's a good point. We should, we should make um, that. You're not going in there for an hour of no. entertainment for them. They do have entertainment come in. A lot of um, volunteer groups will come in and sing and, and then they leave. Right. Um, but it's, it's an engaging more meaningful. Not that entertainment isn't meaningful, um, but that's not the purpose of this. This is looking at it as an investment in uh, society right. because this is going to impact everybody one way or the other. Now what you had said about um, recording the protections of the, um, the victims, it's also something that I've learned is they like to keep the identity of the prisoners very carefully covered for their own safety because they may have, I don't know, old friends or old gang members that want to kill them from other prisons and, um, yeah. you know, it's dangerous. So they keep that really tightly wrapped. That was, I mean, it wasn't like weighing over me as I was in there, but there were a couple of times where, you know, I would have to say, this is reality. This yeah. is very, very serious. I'm, I'm in here with some serious people, and yeah. they're in here forever, and um, some of them, and so it, it was just a powerful, powerful thing. I think I've told you that. I've, I've yeah. In 30 years of doing this, I've not had that powerful an experience, yeah. um, and I do wish in some way that other people could experience it as well, not, not just to see inmates in a different light, but what I learned from it. Right. Just it's kind of hard idea. to put into words. It's very hard. Um, that feeling. Um, but yeah, they they are there to be punished, but they're also there to rehab. Uh, and they're also human beings. Yeah. And that was the part that sort of, they are hearing this music and having real valid emotions and thoughts and, and to see that. Yeah. Um, made me appreciate, like you said, music and what it's done for me and arts even more. Yeah. So. One of the prisoners said, I didn't realize I needed culture until I was denied it. There you go. And I think that that has informed everybody that comes in, like yourselves, when you see a piece of art on a wall, you probably look at it for two seconds longer. When you listen to music, you probably listen just a little bit more focused. Um, 
because you're allowed to. You, you can choose to do this, but when you're denied it, then you really miss it. Yeah. So that was really interesting. So that would be one of the points uh, for people listening that I would, I would hope if they've listened to, to this show is to look at a piece of art a little differently or a, a song, mm -hmm. uh, listen to it a little bit differently. Um, I have, even though I've, like you, grown up with music, I always, it either just made me happy or it didn't, or made me dance, or um, I, I never, until more recently, sort of dug a little deeper into it. So it opened me up to that as well. <laughs> That's so. awesome. Holly, thank you so much for your time, for doing this, and for this program. Um, I can't wait to see what comes of it. Thank you. Thanks for having um, me. It's an amazing thing, and good luck with uh, the upcoming symphonies here, here and elsewhere. Thank you. <laughs> thank you again. Thank you, everyone, for listening. People are strange. People get ready. People. Who need people?